Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits. This is episode 77 of the show where we get together and talk about board games and Christian spirituality. My name is Luke Navarro. And my name is Mike Perna. And, uh, man, it is summertime. It most certainly is, dude, and I'm feeling both the good and awful effects of that. You know, sometimes uh, the weather does hit us. It's actually pretty pleasant here. Uh, Kids are out of school, and, you know, it's con season. Oh, it certainly is. Right now, at the time of this recording, Origins is just starting up. Mm-hmm. Fear the Con, which is put on by the guys of, at Fear the Boot, that's going on. And one of our friends, uh, Peter, I believe, from uh, Saving the Game, is over at Fear the Con. So I'm going to be hitting him up for coolness there. Yeah, and then, oh my goodness, my, my news feed is just, just a, a wash with Origins stuff. Everyone is, is putting out pictures of all the cool stuff they're seeing, and... Yeah, oh, there's so much pretty. Dude, there's just so much pretty. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, none of which at the moment we can get our hands on. I mean, we do we do have uh, some access to Gen Con here at the end of the summer. Uh, but summer's kind of a strange time for gaming, don't you think? Well, because everyone everyone wants to wait for the co- actual con itself to announce anything, so we're just sitting here going, so news. <laughs> well, there's that, and then there's also the, just the whole factor of anything you do with a group gets a little weird during the summer because people are gone things are happening people are going places they're spending time out of the doors you know as i have always said the the peak season for geekery is fall and winter when it's cold and wet and gnarly outside and all you want to do is come inside and roll dice you know uh and so this is a, it's a tough time of year to be a gaming podcaster that's for sure uh though i i have had some gaming uh experiences over the last uh couple of weeks since the last time we recorded uh got to play a game that i think you'll be interested in okay uh and that game's called one night werewolf Ah, the one night variant, the the incredibly shortened version of where of I believe who designed that Ted Alsbach, I think. Uh, yeah, it's Bezier Games, uh, and it's it is Ted, I think, who uh, designed it. But you are our resident werewolf and derivatives expert. <laughs> I'm the guy who you know is the werewolf, but you still don't want to vote me out anyway. Now here's the thing: I think werewolf. There are a couple other like games like this that I only knew of in one place, and that was Camp. Camp. <laughs> okay, uh, so like back in the day, I don't know, maybe kids these days don't do this anymore, but back in the day, we used to go to camp. We'd go to school camps, you'd go to summer camp, uh, you might go if you were a Christian, I wasn't, but if you were, you might go to... Uh, a youth camp um, but this was the kind of thing that you did at camp you know games like this or that you might do uh, at a school assembly or something like that um, I, I, can, I can vouch for that statement because the very first ex- exposure to anything like this that I had it was even before I really got into gaming proper uh, it, I the first variant uh, I played Mafia. Mafia that that was the one, which is a, a a version of this game that can be played simply with a regular old deck of cards. My first game of Mafia was played while I was a counselor at a summer camp. There you go. So for folks who don't know, uh, these these are social games, uh, in which uh, generally there are essentially two teams. Uh, one of the teams is generally much, 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 much smaller than the other team. Uh, they are hidden amongst uh, the populace, so to speak. So in Werewolf, uh, there are... It's the scene as a village. Right? And the problem in the, this village is that some of the people within the village are werewolves! And want to eat you. Now, uh, in a typical game of Werewolf... Uh, I don't even know. Is there like a like a set number of rounds in a regular game of werewolf? No, you either play until all the werewolves are gone, and thus the the citizens win, 
or you play until technically you're supposed to play until all the citizens are dead, but I basically say tie goes to the werewolves. Um, if it's down to like one and one, the werewolves win. But, uh, yeah, basically it's, it's all or nothing. The werewolves are trying to eat everyone. The citizens are trying to oust the werewolves. And so in all games like this, the key is, uh, secret knowledge essentially. And the way that secret knowledge is communicated is during a narration phase. And during the narration phase, everybody in the game closes their eyes. And then, depending on your role in the game, you'll open your eyes, you'll do different things. So, for example, and basically I think every variant of werewolf, the werewolves all know who the other werewolves are. There's a, there's a point in which the werewolves are told to open their eyes and look around and give each other the high sign, and uh, then on you go. And uh, so you, then you, you'll play through the game trying to figure out who is who. Now, One Night Werewolf uh, plays along the same way, but as you said, Mike, it is radically reduced. Um, it also has a little bit of a gimmick to it in that the narrator is a smartphone app. Yes, I've seen this. I was actually quite impressed. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the voice on the cell phone app is Eric Summerer from the Dice Tower. Is it really? I yeah. didn't notice, but I totally, it could totally, yeah, you know what, now, it is. It totally is. Now that I think about it. Um, but, so what happens is, you have the app, and you kind of, you can plug in which of the various characters you are you are using. Of course, you're going to have villagers, and you're going to have werewolves. Um, but and I'll go into detail on some of the other villagers, uh, some of the other characters here in, in a minute. Uh, you plug those all in. You set an amount of time, a speed for uh, how quickly you want to be able to do your action. Um, and then you sit, give yourself a window for discussion. Now, each character is represented by a card. Okay, that is played face down on the table in front of them. There are three... It doesn't matter how many people are playing. Each one has a card. And in the middle, there are three other cards. So that way, you know, there's there's some degree of, of uh, mystery as to where all of the cards are. Um, at the beginning, then, you'll look at your card, see who you are. The narration starts. Werewolves look at each other. Uh, there are characters called Masons. Those are essentially the good guys. They look at each other. And then there are a whole bunch of characters that do things to the cards. So you'll have, say, your Troublemaker. Your Troublemaker will switch the car- two cards. Uh, a robber will switch a card, his card with someone else's and look at it. Um, the Insomniac will be able to look at their card one more time before... The, uh, the conversation commences. Um, and there are several others uh, like this. I mean, if they're important, I might get to them. Um, so everybody eventually opens their eyes. All cards are still face down on the table. And a discussion ensues. You begin to claim who you are. Uh, truthfully or not, depending on how you want to play. And uh, at the end of the time, uh, I think we played with a five-minute or a four-minute window because we had a bunch of people playing. There was like ten people playing. So we wanted to make sure there was enough time that everybody got to, to talk and be involved. And uh, at the end of that time, uh, there's a countdown, three, two, one, and vote. You vote kind of cash-and-gun style, pointing your gun, your finger <laughs> at, uh, at somebody. And um, whoever has the most... Votes gets taken out. If that person's a werewolf, the villagers win. If that person's not a werewolf, the werewolves win. So are there multiple werewolves? Or is it literally just... Because the way you're making it sound, it's like if you get one of the werewolves, werewolves lose. Uh, if you kill one of the werewolves, the werewolves lose. Okay, so it, it's an all or nothing... It's an all or nothing. It's a one round, one night... That's the one night element of one night werewolf. Um, and there, there are multiple werewolves, uh, so... Uh, there are two werewolves active, and I think it changes depending on the number of players. Right, it usually does. Yeah, but because there are three cards in the middle, there you aren't necessarily know. two werewolves. In fact, it is possible that there are no werewolves. 
I see. I I love that. We talked about that before. The fact that there's that one card that gets tossed out there just ruins the curve. So even if you're sitting there counting cards like so and so has this and such and this and that, you have no idea what those middle cards are. Right. I love that. Um, so this game is interesting. It's it's very different than most games like this. I, you know, I think about Coup and and Resistance and uh, a whole lot of other ones where you're taking actions. And based on your actions, you can deduce what the person is doing. In this case, you there are no actions. So you have absolutely no way of knowing who anybody is, potentially. Well, there are tokens. And each token matches one of the original cards. And so you can say, hey, I'm a villager. So you put your villager token on the card in front of you. And then... Through that, things begin to do. Somebody else would say, hey, well, uh, yeah, I'm a mason. And you put that down. Well, the masons got to see each other. So somebody else might say, hey, no, wait a minute. I'm a mason, and he didn't have his eyes open, so he's lying. He couldn't be a mason. Of course, the but guy who's saying that about could be to lying, say, And uh, that's the beautiful, the beautiful thing about all werewolf games is, is that you could be a werewolf and say, I'm a mason. And the guy's like, like that guy wasn't a mason. Is like, yeah, that's what you think. Ha 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 ha. Right. And so there, there is a. That's essentially what it is. It, it's a psychological game where you're playing back and forth, uh, talking with each other. Um, let, let me go through a couple of the roles just in case I haven't hit maybe some of the important ones. Um, some of the more important ones were the troublemaker. Troublemaker switches two cards. Um. And, and actually, that ended up being a very weird situation. I'll talk about that in a sec. Um, there are two players who want to die. The, the tan- Tanner! The Tanner and the Minion. The Tanner is one of my favorite cards in Ultimate Werewolf. <laughs> um, and then there are several characters who end up switching their card with another. There's a robber who switches their card and looks at it. There is a drunk who switches his card with one of the cards in the middle and then doesn't look at the card. Nice. So he's, you know, he he doesn't have any memory of what happened last night. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, there's a seer who can see a couple of the different cards, and there are probably some others I'm not thinking about right now because there's a bunch of them. Uh, and so you play it through. Now, uh, this is the way these kind of games go. The first time you play, you're playing the game. By the <laughs> tenth time you play... You're playing the people. You're playing the metagame. <laughs> And so what happens is you start to kind of know how did they act, how did they respond, what did they do last time. And so now there's even more data than there was in the past, which can make the game either much easier or much, much harder. Now, if you're playing a game like this in a established gaming group that plays all the time, you even have the meta-meta game <laughs> where, you know, you've played 100 games with this guy before. Last week when we before. were playing Battlestar, you were a Cylon. Exactly. You us all. Exactly. And you, your face looks like it looked when you were a Cylon. <laughs> so I'm shooting you, you know. Um, and so there is that kind of experience. Um, now, are these good games or bad games? I will say that One Night Werewolf has some brokenness in it. And let me give you just a real simple example. Okay. You were a werewolf. Okay. Some the trickster, the the uh, not the trickster, the troublemaker, traded your card. So you know that so and so. You know so and so is a werewolf. Now, could there be multiple layers of lying happening there? Yes, there could. But you would need some fairly advanced players who knew each other and could, you know, it's like bridge. You know, where you can't actually communicate with the person apart from you, uh, but who's on your team across the table from you, but you kind of do. You kind of have to know each other and know when you're going to make your moves. Uh, it would have to be something uh, like that. Um, you know, in the same situation with the minion or the tanner. Well, I was the tanner, he's the tanner, so therefore we can just ignore him for the rest of this round. Um, things like that. Uh, so those are pretty minor, I suppose, but we did have several rounds where, um, it was a little bit broken. Uh, new players, any game like this is hard for a new player, 
especially if that new player is a, a werewolf very early on in their experience of this game. They're essentially going to give themselves up at some point on accident. Yeah. Uh, because the only way you can defend yourself as a werewolf is play the role of another character. And unless you really have been those characters and know how it would play out in an actual conversation, it's really hard to mimic that. Right. It's easier to do in regular werewolf because you can just sit there quietly. Right. If you sit there quietly as a werewolf in this game, you will be caught. It's just that simple. You have to immediately jump out and pretend you are someone else. So not exceptionally newbie-friendly on this one. It it really isn't. Uh, Though I would argue none of these games are. Okay, yeah. I would argue any of these bluffing games are really not newbie-friendly. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. In in like a a real werewolf where you're you're playing with 50 people, that's that's pretty... It's easy to blend into the background with that one. But those aren't the kind of games we're playing at game night. No. These are, are really are derivatives they're, they're of the original game. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like it does a decent job of making a quick version of the original game. Because as much as I love the original game, especially if you start getting a, a large group of people, it can take, it takes a, a time. while. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I actually think the, uh, the having the robo-narrator there is really <laughs> nice. I don't know. I pride myself on my narration. I'm not going to lie. It, it, yeah, but but what if you were playing games that only lasted four minutes? Well, then I, I would break down into robo mode. Like even yeah, <laughs> you know. And so, I mean, I think I no, I have no doubt we played ten rounds of this game. We could have played more, right? Um, and so because of that. Uh, you know, it is nice just to be able to, okay, let's see, this round we're playing with this character, this character, this character, this character, and this character, go. And it knows, and it does everything, and it does it all in the right order, and uh, things like that. Oh, that's that's another thing uh, that is a little unlike Werewolf. The order of operations in this game is really important. Okay. Well, because you're doing your deduction, and you say, okay, well, I was this person. And somebody else says, no, you weren't that person because I was the troublemaker and I switched that person. And well, somebody else says, well, wait, I was the robber and I switched that person. Well, now you got to figure out what the order of operations was. Now Who got playing, switched in what order? Now you're playing three-card Monty, the werewolf edition. Yeah, now you're doing math is what you're doing. And <laughs> you're, uh, you're trying to follow. Uh, so you're like going back to the narration. Okay, who did what first now and how did this go and... Uh, and things like that. So a very heady game uh, as well. Um, I think it's better than, say, Coup. Uh, but I don't think it's as good as Resistance. Uh, well, I think it's just a completely different vibe than Resistance. It is. And, and uh, I think it's just... Um, if you like these kind of games and you want some variety in your gameplay, this is one to add to. And, I'm, you know, it's cheap and it's fast and that's great. Always, like, a good, quick, fast game. Yep. Uh, and certainly something you can do when you're, like, you know, you finish the game, but the other guys haven't finished their first game, and you want to do something for ten minutes while they finish the game, so you guys can decide what you're going to play next. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a place for that. There's always a, a place for the, the quick little one-shot, and, and a quick little one-shot that still involves the, the kind of bluffing mechanics and the... the the gotcha there because I totally convinced you I was that other guy. That's rare. It's a rare combination. Normally, the bluffing and the hiding and the 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 that those kind of mechanics tend to go towards the longer game. Well, I actually, as it turns out, did play a longer game with a bluffing mechanic. And the, now this was the the one that you said on your Twitter. You kicks the you. It was like a Kickstarter, right? It is currently in. How do you say this? Currently in Kickstart. <laughs> it is uh, currently being kickstarted. Yes, I think that I that is it. maybe the cool geek lingo. And uh, it w- when the show comes out, I think it'll probably have maybe a week, two weeks left, give or take. Uh, though it has already been funded, so it is going to happen. Um, and the game is called Dubious Alliance. Uh, so at, in Dubious Alliance, you were playing as a band of orcs. Okay. Uh, each character has a character card, 
that you get. Uh, this is a card game, by the way. Uh, and you're going out on a series of adventures uh, as a band of orcs. And uh, the the sort of motif of the story of the game is that you are competing to have the most awesome story. Oh, and, see, this is already my kind of game. <laughs> and your story is created by cards that you have first in your hand, but but uh, your story is the board down in front of you, your play area in front of you. Uh, and the, the cards are things like armor, a location, an event, a monster. The stuff that you need to create a D&D type uh, adventure. Right. Um, so here, here's, a, here's the, the actual game mechanic. Uh, each player has uh, two stats. One is life, essentially. Uh, and the other is a prestige goal. Most people have, uh, say, 20 life and about maybe 15 as their prestige goal. Though some had far less life, but of course the ones with less life also have less prestige goal. So in other words, if you're the orcish war chief, you're probably a pretty tough bad dude. But in order to have an awesome story as an orc war chief, you need to do some pretty amazing stuff. But they say you can't be, you know, super impressed about the fact that you took a like somebody's puppy out of a tree. Right. You know, um and so but maybe you're the skeletal minion who got summoned by the orcish shaman. Well, and you're a little bit, you know, you're a minion, you're kind of frail, you're about to get ready to smash, but if you do anything cool, yay, the way to go minion, you know? You're a minion, if you last, if you last through the fight, you're <laughs> right. impressive. Um, and so, uh, the, the mechanic is, you, you have your, uh, you have your hand, there's four cards in there, and so each of these has, um, a life value and a prestige value, and they can be positive or negative. So, let's just say you had the shredding awesome armor of awesomeness, right? Well, that might have a positive three life value and maybe a prestige of two. And that represents that, hey, you've got this awesome armor that helps you survive a little bit longer. And it's so sweet, the other orcs look at you and are like, yeah, you're awesome. (laughs) Um, And so your goal is, as you play these cards out in front of you, is to stay alive and to reach your prestige uh, goal. Um, but what, the way this happens is you, put, you decide each round you play a card face down in front of you uh, from your hand. You know what it is. Everybody else does it. And now you begin a round of trading with all of the rest of the orcs in your warband. And you don't have to trade, though there are cards that can force you to trade. But in general, you don't have to trade. But you can so you might say to Grog over there, Hey, Grog, I notice you don't have an awesome weapon. This is an awesome weapon. I need uh, some sweet potion. Give me the potion. You know, do you have a potion? Yeah, I have a potion. All right. Well, let's let's get this trade thing done. We'll both be stronger. Of course, I'm lying through my teeth. In fact, I'm feeding him to a dragon right now. <laughs> uh, uh, so once all the trading is done, you flip over your cards, and whatever is on that card happens. And some of them are just the numbers, just uh, prestige and life, but most of them have some kind of an effect, um, you know. Uh, and also, each character has some special abilities they can use as well. But that's getting into the nitty gritty. Um, and so you play through. Now, if you decide not to trade, you have a uh, kind of a marker that accelerates up. And if you, you don't trade two rounds in a row. You get to a place where you have to trade. And when you have to trade, you don't get a choice in what that trade is. Anybody, when the round starts, can just be like, here, you have this, suck it. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. uh, it you know, I am feeding you to the Lich King. Right? All of that to be said, there is one last wrinkle to this game. And that is, there is a co-op nature to the game. In that, if anybody dies, game over. Everybody game over. loses. And so, so you want them weak and weary, but not dead. Exactly. And so you may you may have to give up a good card to strengthen your opponent, 
in the same way, you might have to hurt your opponent directly if they're getting close to winning. Um, but you need to do it in a way where they don't get prestige. So you have to figure out ways to steal their prestige. Um, so the game is on Kickstarter right now. I played a, uh, a prototype version. So not everything is completely the way it will be. Uh, when the game comes out, uh, I, so, I imagine I imagine it looks like the pictures they have on their Kickstarter page. Uh, the game, yeah, um, it actually looks pretty cool. And uh, when you look at the cards, you're like, "Wow, these are this is interesting art." Like they look almost photorealistic. Well, it turns out that the the story behind this game is that in Santa Cruz, near where we live. There is a rock band, a metal band, called A Band of Orcs. What? And I didn't realize this, but when I was at... Maybe, did I mention this on the KublaCon episode? I don't remember. But there were these orcish cosplayers at Kubla that were freaking amazing. And that was them? That was them. So this metal band are hardcore gamers. Um, but, But when they play everything, they are full on, like, Moria level orcs like full on (laughs) cosplay and so they're really into gaming they hooked up with a game designer he made the game it's on kickstarter because we're kind of local to them we got to hang out with them and play the game so uh there you go it is on kickstarter it's really inexpensive it's a deck game it's just like one deck of cards uh so if that sounds like something you're interested in Check it out. Go to Kickstarter. The game's called Dubious Alliance. It's dubiousalliance.com. I don't know what it is on Kickstarter, but you just go there and it'll take you to the Kickstarter. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> I would just love it to just be able to say, like, oh, yeah, I totally was listening to this band. Oh, look, let me play this game with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and it, it's actually a pretty fun kind of a – it's more like a party-ish kind of a game uh, in that you are really encouraged to role-play your character. Um, I support any game that does that. And, like, for example, when you're done trading, you throw the tusks sign, put your tusks up uh, (laughs) to indicate that you're done done trading and and that kind of thing. So, uh, a pretty fun little game. I got to talk with Brandon, the designer. Uh, May, actually, uh, talk with him, uh, do a little little interview, throw out some bonus content here uh, coming up pretty soon. Very cool. So what about you, Mike? What you been up to? I have been trying to get things together for Gen Con, is basically what I've been doing as far as gaming is concerned. Being, you know, hosting the panel is bringing up a whole bunch of other responsibilities this year, and not only that, but I want to, I want to actually kind of plan ahead. Like, there are certain events that I want to get to, and, uh, so, I, it, it, it involves a lot more scheduling and pre-planning. Wow, that sounds no fun at all. Actually, it's it's kind of the the way I would say it is that it's it's the kind of stuff you do when you're throwing a party. Okay. Yes, it's the stuff you're doing right at this moment might not like when but you're, you're shopping doing it for, for the food, sake of awesome. You know that through the course of doing this, you get to experience awesome. So right now it's a lot of just get through it, make it happen, because in 60 days exactly, I'll be in Indianapolis, and I'm so freaking excited about this. I can't tell you anything about who's going to possibly be at the panel because we are still putting that together, but let me just put it this way, at bare minimum, potentially one of the names, it's a big deal. It, nothing's guaranteed yet, no confirmation, so I cannot... You know, this I is cannot. very difficult to deal with the famous people. Yeah. Because they're, you know, important. Well, and then and stuff happens, too, because even if we do get confirmation, like last year we, we were going to have Michael Stackpole on, and all of a sudden, poof, he couldn't make it. So, I mean, right. I, I, just, I don't want to promise you guys something and not deliver on it. So I'm just saying... We're currently working on it. If you guys know somebody that like has any kind of sway in the industry and happens to be a Christian or even deals with Christians and they're going to be at Gen Con, let me know. I'll gladly get in touch with them. So, yeah. So that's happening. Uh, I also... 
part of the other thing about planning, and I did this last year too, was kind of look at what's getting released, identify what's going to be the hardest to find, so that I know that on day one I need to be there. That would have been a very good idea for me. I did not do that at Kubla, and I'm regretting it now. Because I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy, especially because I'm going to be at, at the booth, booth 160 for those of you who are going to be at Gen Con. I'm going to be at the booth and there's going to be a lot of stuff and I want to be talking to people. I don't want to be just going to the con to do games. We're not a review site anyway, so I don't feel that obligation to get all the news. But I, I still kind of want to, because there's stuff that like I you can clearly identify early on. If you don't go there and see it on day one, by day two it will probably be sold out. Right. That That's the issue is the sellout is the problem. Right, I kind of want to get my hands on the idea of sometime during the first day I need to go to visit so-and-so's booth and pick up such-and-such. I have identified a couple of those. One of them being from the good people at AEG. They are apparently... Fast becoming your favorite company, or at least in the ranks. Yeah, I'm I'm still a Plat Hat fanboy, and I'll get to them in a minute. But uh, <laughs> no, AEG is quickly coming up with some games that I'm I'm really I'm really taking a, a shine to these guys. The big one it, it's supposedly a re-release of an older game. If it, you know, I have no idea about the older game. So I even actually went to Twitter and asked people, I'm like, why should I care about this game? Explain to me why everyone is so excited about a game called Doomtown Reloaded. Mm, I have seen quite a bit. Hey, in fact, I'm looking at a box, uh, the premium set right now, and uh, it's awesome. Oh, it looks so pretty. And I, I'm sure it's going to be outrageously priced, but if it's even remotely feasible, I'm going to buy it because it's just so gorgeous. But um, Doomtown, I still don't know much about it. I don't know a whole lot, which is part of the why, part of the reason why I desperately want to get to Gen Con because I know that because of the hype and everything, I know they're going to be demoing it, and I want to get in on that game. I want to learn how to play this because all I know is it involves playing cards to get your your quote unquote dudes because this is a Wild West kind of Wild West sci-fi. It's basically Firefly without the spaceships is basically what I'm saying. And uh, you're in control of dudes who walk around the town. Then you're building the town, and you have to get your guys in the right spot. But your moves are based on your cards, both by the actions that you play. And also, there's kind of initiative from what I'm, get- from what I'm gathering from the, the, the different articles I've, I've read. And the initiative is determined by who has the best poker hand. So there's an element of, if I play this card, it'll help me right now. But if I keep it in my hand, that gives me two pair, and I might be able to go first next turn. Awesome. So there's all sorts of... like I want to learn this game. I'm speaking out of almost complete ignorance right now. But I want to learn more. So if you're listening to this right now and, and played Doomtown before, dude, I want to learn this game bad. So that's definitely going to be on my radar. I have a funny feeling that if there's going to be anything that sells out day one, based on the hype that I've been seeing around Doomtown, if AEG doesn't bring a lot of this game, it might just sell out. Well, and I, I think the, the for whatever they're calling the, the awesome set is going to sell out. Oh, that will. There's no doubt in my mind that that I think will. that might sell out by 815. Yeah, that, <laughs> you know that, that. There's no doubt that that's that's unless they have like a constant stream of them coming in from some warehouse somewhere that that's going to sell out quick. But especially unless unless I play a demo and I'm utterly wowed by it, I don't need that premium set. It's basically an a, an act of oh my gosh, that's so pretty. So I can get by with just the basic set. So I think I can get my hands on that, but I do want to make sure I get there quick. I also want to get there because since the last time I bought a Smash Up uh, expansion, there have been there's one that has already happened, and there's one that I believe is gonna be released at Gen Con, the Monsters one. And I mean, 
who doesn't want to play Smash Up with vampires, werewolves? Uh, I can't remember who what the other two were, but it's basically a monsters expansion, and I want that. I also want to talk to somebody because there's they, I just posted a, a link on my own page earlier tonight because AEG just announced they're teaming up with Cryptozoic. You know how we were talking about how Love Letter has a bunch of different themes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same game with different themes. They're teaming up with Cryptozoic to start doing things like a Hobbit-themed, a, uh, oh, nice. a, a DC Superheroes-themed Love Letter, a... They even want to do an Adventure Time Love Letter, which I, that, I might do that. I but, think... <laughs> there are actually a couple other games that are doing this, too, right now. Um, uh, Flux... Yep, is doing this right now. Flux, and... Flux, I yeah, Flux is doing a Cartoon Network themed Flux. Yeah, and, and and I might I might have to own that. Also, uh, Munchkin. Yes, yes, Munch, uh, Adventure Time Munchkin. But uh, as I said, I am still a Plat Hat fanboy. I will definitely be walking away with something of theirs. Uh, there's a good chance that I uh, I will be so tempted. I will be so tempted and it will be a conflict of interest because it's gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to follow my own rule from last year. Remember last year, Luke, when I said every time I saw something I picked it up and I looked at it and I said, Can I convince my wife that I needed to buy this now? And there's gonna be a game that I'm gonna do that to, and the answer's gonna be no, but I'm still gonna be tempted. <laughs> and that is called Dead of Winter. Okay. Dead of Winter is basically, in my mind, the first zombie survival horror game that's doing it right. You all have your own little characters, and there are all these little plot lines that are going on, and you're you're trying to basically survive all the while. Everyone's got their own characters, their own kind of goals, and you're just trying to survive. And that's not easy. <laughs> and I, I can't say that I've done a lot of research on it because of the fact that I, th- if, I think the less I know about that game, the easier it's going to be for me to say, no, I don't really want to buy that. <laughs> but I will, oh my goodness, it looks so cool. And and there's rumor in Folktale that they're going to do kind of a, a they, they're calling it the Crossroads system. So I'm basically thinking that there's going to be more games that follow this system but do a different spin on it and I'm kind of hoping they do because if they do I want to experience it without the zombies and the awful because my wife will probably be more keen to let me do that that's but understandable I, yeah but I I I plat hat is plat hat and there's so much good I I just started playing uh thanks to the good people at the tavern I was able to pick up the Summoner Wars app for my tablet, and oh my goodness, I want to own that game now. I want to own Summoner Wars so bad now. So you're enjoying it on the tablet? I'm enjoying the game. I will say that it's... I, Me and tablet games, we have a love-hate relationship. I The whole time I'm playing it on the tablet, I go, gosh, I wish I could be playing this on a board. But but no, I think it, I think it's adequate. It's why it's why I really kind of want to get Summoner Wars the game now. Okay, uh, I I didn't like it much on the tablet, but when I've seen the game played, I was like, man, I really want to try that. I think the one thing I disliked about playing it on the tablet is the fact that I always felt the dice were cheating on behalf of the computer. And and now there's always going to be the part of you that says, "Yeah, sure, you're just losing." And if it was once or twice, I would cop to that and say, "You know what? You're right. It's perfectly fair. Whatever." But I played one game where I had five units left, and they just had their hero. I rolled nothing higher than a two every time. They rolled straight sixes, and I'm and they ended up winning. Because they just whittled down everybody I had strictly on die roll. So you feel like maybe there was uh, some so I'm thinking, rubber banding happening there? I'm thinking, you know, once it's annoying, twice it's, you know, 
a, a little bit of a habit. Three times and up, That's that might be cheating. So, I, I, you know, it could just be my own perspective, but I, I just can't avoid it. And I always think that when it comes to dice rolling by algorithm as opposed to by actual dice. But, yeah. But it makes me want to buy the real game. So, in and of itself, that that's doing its job. It gets the job done. Yeah. Because I, I want to get Summoner... For the longest time I've been wondering, because there's two games that involve set groupings of cards on a on a mat that involve magic and the word war, Mage Wars and Summoner Wars. And I've been going back and forth because while lots of people will tell you you can totally own both their different games, and I agree with that completely, there's a budget involved. So I can only afford to own one of them at present. <laughs> And so I was wondering which one I would get, and I think I'm going to end up getting Summoner Wars after playing this this tablet game. Just, you know, dwarves. I, I like dwarves. Very nice. We do like the dwarves on the show. We are a pro-dwarf, you know, podcast. We absolutely are. That'll be our offshoot, the pro-dwarf podcast. <laughs> <laughs> People will think of very different things. Yeah. Uh... So, you know, as I'm kind of thinking through the games uh, that we've been talking about on the show here, uh, you know, some of them, especially for you, you're kind of looking forward to some of these games. But the games that I've played through, and and we've kind of talked about this on the show before in a way, but, you know, we've talked about playing evil characters. Yes, we have. And, and that is one of the more controversial topics we talk about on the show. Uh, maybe not controversial, maybe not the right word, but one of the more responded to topics. Oh my goodness, it, bar we, none, it's the most yeah. most commented on topic that we've ever discussed. And it's not that people are commenting negatively or positively, it's just, it brings a lot of issues to the table, so to speak. Well, uh, the games that I played this week both involve lying. They encourage you to be a bad person. Uh, really, they do. Um, and even if you're a good guy, they encourage lying. So let me let me kind of explain what I mean by that. So, let's say you're playing One Night Werewolf, and you are the, I don't know, maybe you're uh, the sage. And as the sage, you can see other people's stuff. Well, you, what you might do when you start the game is put your name yourself a villager. You just lied. And you would think, well, why would you lie? You're on the good guy's side. Right? Well, now, the other players who have a deeper vested interest in lying because they are werewolves or they're minions or they're tanners... uh, We'll leave you alone. Well, but now they might be a little bit more willing to try a lie thinking that you are just a villager who doesn't have any new information. But in fact, you're the seer. And you have quite a bit of information. You have more information than anybody else in the game. And so now, when the werewolf comes... When somebody as a werewolf claims, well, I was the drunk, and you happen to know that somebody else was the drunk because you were the seer, you can call him on it. Say, oh, wait a minute. Actually, I was a seer. And, you know... This guy next to me was the drunk. And when the guy next to you corroborates the fact that he was, in fact, the drunk, you now have more information. Um, and so the the basic gameplay mechanic is lying. Right. Uh, now, a game called like Dubious Alliance takes that even further. Because um, not only are you lying... Or potentially lying, at least, in the trade mechanic. Um, but you have this place where uh, you want to harm your opponents even though, theoretically, you're on the same team. And so both of these games uh, really add something to the dynamic. Now, I mean, it's not controversial at all if you're playing a competitive game that you would want to hurt your opponent. Now, yeah, we could talk about the theological implications of that. Don't turn your other cheek. Or do turn the other cheek and things like that. But 
this is a game where you are actually misleading in a co-op game, essentially. You're misleading your own side. And that leads to some kind of funky uh, moral questions. You know, when we apply that to real life, so to speak, you know, you're at work, you're in a business environment, you're in a school environment, you're in a relationship, and you may be tempted to lie, even for the sake of the person that you're lying to, or for the sake of the organization. And, you know, you gotta, then we start to wonder, well, you know, is that right? Is that wrong? (laughs) What is it? What are we learning? What are we experiencing as we play these kind of games? Well, I, I think that there's that. It's a valid question to to ask: Can you do a right thing for a wrong reason? Can you do a wrong thing for a right reason? Um, heck, I I wrote when I was when I wrote an article about City of Remnants. That was my main question that I posed myself when playing that game, because in City of Remnants, you're doing awful, awful things. But you're doing it to protect the people that you are that are in your gang. If you don't protect them, someone else will come and kill them. So do you do these awful things to protect your own, or do you just sit back and not do the awful things and let them die? So I think it's an interesting question, and especially in the context of of this this cooperative the cooperative nature of it really. It, it, you're right, it does. It tweaks it to a whole other level because, I mean, I, I've lost count of the number of times I've led games of Werewolf for youth groups, and I've started out by saying, normally we would, as you know, as your youth leaders, we would generally discourage you from lying, cheating, killing, and destroying. Tonight we're going to encourage it. <laughs> like, like, that's usually my opening line for, for leading youth groups through these games. But that's, you know, one could argue that there's a degree of co-op because the werewolves are working together, but it's not even remotely in the same kind of venue as, as this game that you're talking about. It, I don't know, man. Tweaking your own side is always... <laughs> it, it just... It, oh, it, it, I think it's both really interesting and I really want to play it, but at the same point, there's something that, that's unsettling about it. Well, and it's the double bluff. Right. It's the double move uh, that we're talking about here, where you are you are lying for, theoretically, the sake of good, or at least for the sake of your team. And, you know, these are the kind of lies in, that they're, they're traps, essentially, right. is what you're doing. You're setting... Uh, you're setting traps for they will they will be hurt if I say this thing they will be you know wrecked if I if I do this thing to them but if I don't we're gonna be in a lot of trouble yeah we had uh, we had one situation play out um, where we had our seer uh, and one of the players had been uh, the minion at least we thought. And uh, he uh, he believed that the I'm sorry no what we had was uh, we had the troublemaker the troublemaker trades two cards and we talked about this a little bit uh, as I talked about the game let's say the troublemaker traded a card that used to belong to the minion the minion wants to get killed in place of the werewolves and but now the player who had that minion card believes that it got traded away so that player now announces I was the minion well the troublemaker then responds back well that's great to know but I didn't trade your card right so this person believed that they were uh, they were joined to the team so there are all of these levels of deceit and uh, you know there you even wonder uh how at what point does it get not fun anymore 
Don't get me wrong, it was a cool move, but I, I, I have a feeling the guy who experienced that might have been like, ah, I just got burned. But uh, how is that any different necessarily than somebody making a really good tactical decision on a in a war game? I, I don't think, fundamentally, I don't think they're all that different, but I think emotionally they might be. Well, I, I think I think you nailed it there with that 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 caveat there. Emotionally, they might be right, and because because if if you're looking straight up mechanic, it's that's a good you're, move. You're you're playing a game, and that was a great move. Right. And you just move forward. Uh, but when we are lying to each other, I think that there might be some emotional cost to that. And now, for some people, I don't think that's bothersome. I think they play the game and they have fun with it, and that's great. But I can also imagine a set of people who are like, ah, that that hurts a little too much. I don't want to play this. I don't want to have to have experience somebody lying to me directly. And uh, let's be honest, for the most part, I don't. I think bluffing is a relatively new mechanic in board games. I think. At least, at, at least to the level that it's being instituted, I would probably, I, I could see that. It, I think it's always been. A thing. I mean, you look at poker. You're always like, like you know, yeah, everything you do is a bluff. But I, I mean, in board games, I mean, in like, you're sitting down at the table and you're, uh, and and especially again, it these, it's the co-op experience that really throws it off. I, I yep. And uh, so what you end up having, and and in fact, uh, this game, Dubious Alliance, you know, you think about games like say, that have a trader mechanic. In the sense that they're co-op games, essentially. But there's this tiny little bit of competitiveness within the co-op game. Dubious Alliance kind of flips that on its head. In that it's essentially a competitive game, but there's this tiny little bit of but co-op a, in there. Yep. That that makes it so that your behavior is a little bit different. So for me, in Dubious Alliance, it's a little bit easier to be cutthroat and mean to each other. Because that's kind of the point of the game. And that's the reason why, by the way, you're not in a, a band of humans going on an adventure. You're, you're essentially a band of an orcs going yeah, on. You're, an adventure. you're an orc raiding party. <laughs> yeah, or, orcs are not nice. They're not nice to whomever they're attacking, and they're really not all that nice to each other. I imagine. I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time in orcish culture. You know, <laughs> if you read uh, Monster Hunter International, they're actually kind of cool to each other. But best orcs ever, by the way. Uh, <laughs> You know, and so there, there is that kind of vibe. But uh, so I do wonder uh, these feelings of betrayal, these feelings of just having been lied to. I can imagine there are people who wouldn't want, who just wouldn't enjoy that kind of game uh, much. In the same way that, for example, I don't enjoy games that require uh, bidding. I don't like okay. bidding games. I don't like having to put my money against your money to decide who gets the most thing. That bugs me. Um, and the same way, I could totally imagine why somebody would would come to one of these games and say, you know what, this lying thing, it just doesn't vibe with me. Not to mention the fact that there's just some people who aren't very good liars. That, yeah, that that's another thing all in of itself, because, like, I, ha- I have no moral problem with it. As long as everyone in the, in the, well, everyone at the table acknowledges this is a game... This is only okay during this game. We're just here to, you know, have some fun and, and some laughs. I have no problem with that. I, I will say, though, that I'm pretty confident. I haven't really gotten her to play many games like this, but I'm pretty confident that my wife has no love for bluffing games because she, to her own admittance, has a negative poker face. She, if if you look at her and she tries to to bluff you and tries to lie to you, she is so she is beyond transparent. Well, and and that kind of gets to the deeper issue. Again, this is something we've talked about in terms of playing evil characters, but I do think this is different. Okay, when we talk about playing an evil character, we are exploring what an evil character might do, right? How they might act, and in a role playing game, you're you're acting out. You're you're essentially an actor playing a role. These aren't roles so much as jobs. Well, and the other thing is, is in a game like this, deceit, lying, bluffing, whatever you want to call it, is in fact a skill. 
Yeah. And some of the and, people and, that I've... And I've, not on a stat sheet kind of way. No, it's, no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> some of the people that, uh, are in our regular gaming group, we, we play a lot of games like this. Um, again, it's just kind of a staple of our gaming group. And because they've played so many times, in part because they understand the strategies, but also in part just because you develop skills as you play games like this, they're freaking good liars. Yep. Now, I have said before that you don't want to play a game like Resistance against me. And you probably wouldn't want to play against you, Mike. Yeah, I revealed I revealed the last time we talked about the Resistance, uh, the last game day, last game day I played... I had a woman at the other end of the table look at me, and I was a spy, and she straight up looked at me, and she was the team leader, and she goes, I know that you're a spy. But I don't know if it was the way I looked at her, the things that I said, or whatever. She still freaking put me on that team. (laughs) So, I am very good at seeing people's tells, because I've had a lot of experience in counseling rooms where I am dealing with people who are doing things that that are bad, that are destructive in their life, and they don't want to admit it, but they kind of do, which is is generally the experience in a game like this where you don't you don't want people to know, but it's kind of cool that you're the bad guy, you know? Right. However, there is one group of people who could play Resistance or Coup or One Night Werewolf with me and do well. And that is the group of people I play games with all of the time. Because you're no longer reading a natural person. You're reading a skilled liar. You know for a fact that if this person wants to lie to you, they will, and they'll be good at it. Right, and because they're so skilled and because they're so experienced in this game, the natural tells that people have when they're not telling the truth are gone. That might be just a tiny bit creepy. Now, again, I don't know whether that would r- apply itself to the rest of life. You know, when somebody who is really good at resistance, you know, tells their wife, uh, yeah, I was over at my buddy's house last night when you were, were really out drinking or whatever you were doing. I don't know if that uh, those two skills overlap, but... I just think it's interesting, this whole idea that we are getting to be very good liars because of the games that we play. Well, I I think that there's a couple different things that you can draw from that. And one is the it's the just the fact that all of us have the ability to do that. If you really want to, anybody has the ability to learn how to do that. I mean, heck, part of part of how we learn to do this. Now granted, you know, as you said, it's there's other circumstances like like you and I both have spent time counseling folks and we can tell just through our own educations and through our own experiences, you know, talking to people for long stretches of time, you can read a person. Yes. Not a hundred percent. Not a hundred percent. It's not foolproof, but as a rule, there are certain things that you can look for. So yeah, we can, we can do that. But there's others. There's others. I've played. I can't even tell you how many games of Mafia, Werewolf, or other variations thereof. I've lost track. I've run the games. I've seen the games. I've played the games. I. It's it's easily in the hundreds. Sure. After a while, you start realizing. Okay, we're playing this many people. There are this many werewolves. Clearly, that person I think is actually a werewolf. That person I heard, and so that you know you can do that. And you start learning that stuff, and you start learning to craft things. And you can say, all right, if I don't say anything, I'm going to be in trouble, because about three or four turns in, if I haven't said anything, then I'm going to get the, you're being awfully suspicious over there. Like, you learn to read the game. Right. I think... I agree. And and so, part of it is is actually, like, honing this skill. You can do that. You can play the games. You can get other experiences. You can learn how to do this and be this great, skilled liar. Anybody can pull it off. I I completely agree. I think it's a skill that you learn like anything else. Uh, I just think it's interesting that we've incorporated that skill into board games and are now learning the skill through playing a game. Well, exactly. But here's the other thing that I kind of draw from this. It's the idea is because this skill is so readily available, we have to ask ourselves, how do we 
function with this? How do we do this? Do we actually embrace this skill and 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 hone it and use it and twist it and actually get, or do we or do we acknowledge that this is part of a you know something that we can do? You know, it's the great with great power comes great responsibility argument all over again. And I think a lot of times we we forget, you know, to get super spiritual on we were already kind of going down that road but to really kick it up a whole other notch we always think of ourselves at one point or another we kind of get this mindset that we are above sin that that it's especially true with guys in the ministry because we think oh i you know i'm so gung-ho for jesus and i love what i'm doing and this is great and the holy spirit is with me and the i'm neck deep in the will of god and it's great clearly i can't be doing anything wrong and games like this, you know, much like what I was, you know, when I, I'll talk about playing Thomas Mycroft, my evil character, Thomas reminds me that I'm a sinner in those times when I, I think that I'm above it. Thomas reminds me that that you don't you don't have that moment where you can stop worrying about the fact that you're a sinner. <laughs> because at any moment, it, when the situation strikes us, this is a board game. We're ready to sell people out down the river for just to, to get some some glory points on a board game. We yeah. have that potential within us pretty much all the time. <laughs> I completely agree. However, I will say one other thing as well. And that is that this this actually provides an interesting opportunity because as great as the move may be everybody at the table knows it's cringeworthy right you know every time we do this nobody's doing it with a sense of of pure unadulterated glee everybody knows what i'm doing here is messed up and you're right we are all sinners no and, one trusts the double agent <laughs> You know, uh, and the thing is, is that that we are all reminded that we know we're all sinners, and that we know we all need a savior. Now, so often I hear people who are doing evangelism. Well, everybody I talk to thinks that they're just fine. Everybody knows they're not just fine. Right now, people may think that their sins are little. They may think that their sins are unimportant to God. But every one of us knows that we do these cringeworthy things more often than we admit. And we all have that sense, that feeling that comes directly from God, that God has placed in every single one of us, believer or not, to tell us what you're doing right now is wrong. Even when we're playing a silly game, when it's probably not wrong. Okay, I don't think God is really worried that we're lying playing werewolf. That's not wrong. But because we're so wired to be there and to recognize our need for God, even when we're playing a silly game and we tell a little fib in the game, that cringeworthiness inside of us goes off and we realize, oh, this is bad and I shouldn't be bad. I need something to help me. I need a savior who not only erases my past sin, but gives me the Spirit of God to direct me and help me to do better, even though we won't necessarily always do better, but at the very least to direct me and guide me. Um, and also, I, it's an interesting experience. Uh, you know, and it's funny that, uh, for whatever reason, I don't think about it when I'm blowing dudes up. Yeah. But uh, but it's probably because I don't really blow very many people up in life, but I might lie on occasion. No. It, it is a little closer to home. Yeah, for sure. So, man, how can uh, how can folks get a hold of us, find out what you're doing uh, for Gen Con and all those kind of goodnesses? Everything is going to be on inroadsministries.com slash contact. That's how you get in touch with us. You can also find us... Well, pretty much all over social media, all over the place. Uh, you can find us at the Tavern, where we're hanging out pretty much constantly. There's lots of stuff going on there. I absolutely adore it. 
Um, I, it's at the tavern that I found out that one of our regulars is actually going to be writing a paper about witnessing to subcultures and subgroups and is going to be citing inroads. It's the coolest thing. I'm still giddy about that. I can't believe that's happening. Yeah, see, part of me went, that's really awesome, and part of me went, your teacher's lame. <laughs> you should get a D. Uh, but, hey, you know what? More power to you, brother. More power to you. Hey, I, th- I think we put out fine quality products. <laughs> there you go. Well, I guess that's up for the professor to decide. Apparently, we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, as far as Gen Con's concerned, I'll be talking about it everywhere. Follow us and be sure. It, one thing that I will say that we haven't mentioned in a while, but we should, if you like what we're what you're listening to right now, and our witty banter and, and ridiculousness is something that pleases you, please go over to iTunes. Uh, and rate and comment on our podcast. We are a niche within a niche, and we need help having you know getting people to follow us and to find us amongst the sea of podcasts on the net and doing stuff like rate us and follow us, on, uh, rate us and comment on iTunes. Uh, there's a site that I'll link to uh, called Board Game Links. You can you know give us a little vote up on that as well. On Stitcher, you can. I don't know if they have comments over at Stitcher, but you can go there anyway because I still get you know cool little messages from them when good things happen. There's lots of places you can can find us and just tell people about us because really that's how people are going to find us. It, it works every time I check the numbers. People are telling people about us, and then that's when people show up. Awesome. And as always, folks, we just say thank you, thank you for hanging out with us, thank you for listening to us. Maybe you're driving to work right now. Maybe you're on the treadmill. Maybe you're doing your vacuuming, whatever. Um, thanks for hanging out. We really appreciate it. And uh, as always, we remind you that God is the Game Master. And no matter how di- the dice fall, the game plays on.